Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast featuring lead pastor Doug Sherman. For more information about Grace Harvest Church, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you as Pastor Doug shares this week's message. For this last month, we've been in a series that we've been teaching through in the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. And today we're going to finish that. I'm going to finish that. Um, this is the first, one, first message I've actually done from this series. And our series is called Faithful to the End. Faithful to the End. And today I want to share something that I'm really excited about sharing with you. And that is that the faithful one will return. And so our call is to live faithfully. The faithful one will return. And our call is to live faithfully. So I want to ask a question before I begin. How many of you grew up going to church? Okay, quite a few of you. How many of you were taught when you were growing up about the end times or the last days or the second coming or the rapture or any of those things? Okay, okay, you're a good Baptist boy. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That's right. So I want to talk about that today. And uh, I'm hoping for some of you, that maybe this, is, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard teaching on this. It'll, it'll encourage you and fill you with hope. And for those of you that have grown up learning about it, that you might be made to think a little bit differently, um, that you might consider some other options to what you've learned. And, but more than anything, what I, I'm hoping you get out of today's message is hope. Because the text we're going to look at is all about hope. It's about living in a broken world but recognizing that this is not all there is, and there's yet more to come. Amen? Henry Heinz in Leadership Magazine shares this story. He says, during his 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy often closed his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport. Colonel Davenport was the speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives way back in the founding of our nation. He says, one day in 1789, the sky of Hartford darkened ominously, and some of the representatives, glancing out the windows, feared that the end was at hand. Whoa. Quelling a, camera, excuse me, quelling a clamor for immediate adjournment, Davenport rose and said to the group, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought so we can go into the night. Rather than fearing what is to come, we are to be faithful until Christ returns. Instead of fearing the dark, we are to be the lights and we're to watch and wait expectantly and hopefully because we know He's going to make all things right. Amen? He calls us to be ready because He is coming. And that's really what I want to focus on today. I'm not going to get into a lot of details. I'm going to get into a few points and really, really talk about the reality that the second coming of Jesus should affect the way we live in the present right now. We're going to talk about something that's controversial but very important. Now, some Christians avoid what's known as eschatology. Eschatology is the study of last things, the end times. 
Some Christians avoid it because it's confusing. It causes tension. It causes conflict. It causes disagreement. And they avoid it. And in avoiding it, they miss out on what is known as the blessed hope. The blessed hope is the idea that because He came once and He fulfilled over 300 prophecies, He will come again because there are hundreds of other prophecies yet to be fulfilled and He's going to make right what is wrong, straight what is crooked, He's going to fix what is broken, and He's going to take all of creation and finally bring justice to the injustice and the evil. And I don't know about you, but I am so excited for that day. When he's going to make all things right. I'm only going to scratch the surface on this subject today. And I, I may not be able to answer some of the questions that many of you have. But I'm going to share some of the differing views of the return of Christ. And the main thing that I hope that you take away is that Jesus is going to come again. Raise the dead. Change those who are alive and believe at his return. And that with confidence you'll be able to say in your own life, Jesus is coming again and he's going to make all things new. And so because of this, we can be faithful to Him. I have a lot of Scripture to read today, so if you're not used to reading the Bible, this might be a little tedious for you, but we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13, verse 13 through 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. And what I want to remind you of as I read is that the Bible was not written with chapter and verse breaks. Those were inserted later. This is a letter. So when it was written, it's not like Paul wrote and he said, okay, end of chapter 4, now chapter 5. There were no chapter breaks. And why that's important is, what I'm going to re- is because what I'm going to read to you is a continued thought, and it's a flow of thought. So I want you to look on the screen with me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and let's look at what the Scripture has to say. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with Him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet Him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Did you notice that? When's the last time you encouraged your brother and sister with the reality that Christ is going to return? Most of the time we avoid it. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. Notice that. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. 
Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when He returns, we can live with Him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Can anybody say amen to the hearing of the Word of God? Amen. So here's my first point. I'm going to get right into it. Point number one, if you're taking notes. Jesus will return and bring believers with Him. Have hope. Amen? You know, Paul is addressing a fear among the believers in this particular church that their believing loved ones would be left behind when Christ returned. Somewhere they had got a hold of an idea that their beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord and their family members and their friends who had died were somehow going to be left out of the second coming. They were going to be neglected. And so Paul is writing them because there was confusion in the church and he's letting them know, no, on the contrary, the first group that's going to be raised, that's going to see him, the first group that is going to proceed, even those who are alive are going to be those who have already died. He's making it clear that those who've died and whose bodies sleep in death will be resurrected to meet Christ in the air before those who are alive do. Jesus will raise the dead and change the living instantly when He returns. That's the basic point. Now this is important because at that time, the Bible exposition commentary brings this out. The pagan world in, which Paul, in, in Paul's day had no hope of life after death. They had no hope of it. A typical inscription on a grave demonstrates this fact. Look at this inscription on the grave. Next slide, please. A typical inscription on a grave in the pagan Roman world. I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. Wow, that's kind of depressing, isn't it? Nihilism, right there in the ancient world. Well, long before Nietzsche, we had nihilism, right? While some of the philosophers, such as Socrates, sought to prove happiness after death, the pagan world had no word of assurance. In contrast to this, the writer here says, I recall stating to a friend one time, I hear you lost your wife. I'm very sorry. He replied, no, I did not lose her. You can't lose something when you know where it is. And I know where she is. On the authority of the Word of God, we also know what will happen. Jesus Christ will one day return and bring His people with Him. And those who we love, who are in the Lord, are not lost. They are safe in the presence of God. That should give us great hope, amen? Secondly, Jesus will return to raise the dead and change the living. It sounds like I'm saying the same thing over, but just to bring out some clarity. As I've already stated, when Jesus returns, those who believe in Him and have died will be raised with new glorious bodies while those who are alive will be changed instantly and receive new glorious bodies as well. There is debate on a number of things, but this text and 1 Corinthians 15 make it clear that these things will definitely happen. For those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, this day will be glorious and wonderful beyond anything we've ever experienced up to that point. You know, you're going to have to maybe use your holy imagination today. Because a lot of us don't think about this stuff. Somewhere we've been taught that to think about heavenly things makes us no earthly good, and nothing could be further from the truth. 
The truth is, throughout the history of the church, the people who truly had an understanding of viewing the world eternally made the greatest impact on the temporal world. The people, I'll give you an example, the apostles. The apostles thought all the time about the coming age of God changing everything, and yet they labored for the kingdom to come and the will of God to be done on earth as it was in heaven. Amen? So they, they loved the idea of the Lord coming, and so because of that, they labored that He would come now and change lives and transform institutions. Number three, Jesus will return and unite all of us with Himself. We'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, this is where it starts to get a little dicey. If you've ever been taught about the coming of the Lord, this is where there are differences of opinion. Right here on this little text where it speaks of us being caught up in the air to meet Him in the clouds. People come up with different ideas about that. Some people believe one thing about what that means. Some believe another. I'm going to give you three different views just on this particular event. And I want to say something that's really important for you to hear. Will you be sure you listen to what I'm about to say? This is really important. All three views I'm going to share are legitimately Christian and are under what would be considered orthodox. What is orthodox? Healthy, historic beliefs of Christians throughout the 2,000 years of the church. The reason I'm saying that is because when I share some views that are different from what some of you have been taught, the tendency is to think, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's bad teaching. But it's not bad teaching, it's legitimate teaching that's been taught for more than 2,000 years and some of the greatest Christians in Christian history have believed. Amen. That's my setup. Now you're like, whoa, what's that mean? The first view and it'll be up here on the slide. Can I have the next slide, please? The first view is uh, the rapture, right? The rapture. Some of you have been taught what's known as the rapture, and that is that we'll return when Christ comes here. He'll catch us up in the air. We'll meet Him in the clouds, and then we'll return with Him to heaven. Some groups teach that we'll be, that'll happen halfway through the great tribulation, And halfway through that point, we'll be caught up to heaven, or some teach it will happen before the great tribulation begins, and Christians will be caught up to heaven, and they'll be with the Lord. And then after that, He will return again, so they teach that the rapture and the second coming are different things. After that, He'll come again with His people, and He'll return and defeat the Antichrist and reign on the earth from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. This view is known as premillennial dispensationalism. And it's the view that many of you grew up in evangelical or charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds with. It's what you were taught. And what I want to say in full disclosure, so you know where I'm coming from, so you'll know my biases. In full disclosure, I don't believe any of that. Okay? I've said it, just so we got that clear. I don't believe any of that. I don't believe that that's what's going to happen or what the Scripture teaches. Which takes me to the second view And that is that Jesus will return right there and rule for a thousand years. And that is he'll return to earth. We will return to earth. So here's the idea. Jesus is coming. We'll be caught up to meet him in the air. We'll meet him in the clouds. And he'll return to the earth right at that moment. And he'll begin to reign for a thousand years on the earth. This view is known as historic premillennialism. Don't get caught up in the words but it's known as historic premillennialism, and it's possibly the oldest view that we can find in church history. It doesn't teach that Christ will take us to heaven during the Great Tribulation, but that Christians will experience the Great Tribulation, but be spared the wrath and the judgment of God upon evil people on earth. 
So this view is a very old view, though the first Christian that ever wrote about it also stated at the time that he wrote it that there were other views that existed at that time. I mean, the first one after the apostles. So this is known as historic premillennialism. The third view is that he'll return and rule forever. And that is that we'll return to earth, we'll be caught up and meet him, we'll return to the earth right with him at that time, and he'll rule for, eter- for, for eternity in a new heavens and a new earth where he'll recreate everything and judge all, all that needs to be judged at that time, and it'll all take place at that time. This view teaches that the thousand-year rule of Christ is either symbolic, because a thousand is used a number of times in the Bible as a symbolic number, um, you know, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. We've heard that. God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. So a thousand is a term that's used throughout the Scripture to speak of a fulfilled time frame. So some people teach that, that um, this is what's going to happen, that the thousand-year rule of Christ is either symbolic or it's already been accomplished when Christ returns. At His return, the resurrection, the judgment, and the recreating of the heavens and the earth will all take place right after His return. This view teaches that He'll make everything right at this point and reign with His people in a new heavens and new earth from this point on. Okay, the New Bible Commentary says this, catch this. The picture of this coming is that of a group of citizens going out from the city. Let me stop there. The terminology that Paul uses is exactly the terminology that was used in the ancient world when a Roman conqueror had gone out and won a war or a battle and he was coming with all of his, all of his, um, his spoils and, and all of his prisoners and he was coming back into the city and the citizens of the city would hear that the conquering general is coming and they would go outside the gates of the city and they would meet him. It was known as the Perosia, the coming, and they would go outside the gates of the city and they would meet him, but they wouldn't then return somewhere else. They would bring him into the city and he would be hailed as a great warrior, a great winner, a great conqueror. So as the New Bible Commentary says, this, the picture is that of a group of citizens going out from the city to meet a visiting dignitary and accompanying back, accompany him back. This implies that the Lord returns with his people to the earth. They certainly do not stay permanently on the clouds playing harps, and you won't be changed into a chubby baby on a cloud. I just want you to know that. This language was probably never intended to be understood absolutely literally. It is describing things that go beyond words. The important thing is that believers, whether the dead or the living, are from then, from that moment on, with the Lord forever. Some teach that the clouds is the great cloud of witnesses, all the returning saints, the great cloud of witnesses, and they're caught up in the clouds of God's people to meet the Lord in the air and then return with Him. So those are three views of what happens when Christ returns. And maybe at a later date, I'll teach this in depth, but I'm not going to today, which takes me to point number four. Some of you right now are going, I can hear there's smoke coming out of some of your ears right now. Let me ask this question. How many of you just heard something you've never heard before in one of the two uh, options I shared? Oh, a number of you. And the rest of you are lying. Okay, thank you. Okay. (laughs) Number four, Jesus will return and shock the unbelieving world. The return of Jesus will not be secret. It will not be hidden and mysterious. It will be out in the open, but come like a thief, 
and be a total surprise for those who don't know Jesus. Notice the language in the text in chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Can you put up chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 there? Notice what it says. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. Now, in all fairness, I want to say this. Some people teach that that event already happened in 70 A.D., just so you're aware of that. They teach that that particular event already happened. But for others, we know one way or the other, when the Lord returns, it's going to be out in the open, and it's going to be something that is going to take those who don't believe in Jesus by surprise, and um, it's going to be terrifying to some. And I want to say this, and I think it's really important that we catch this, and that is that it's not going to be a secret disappearance. And it's one of the reasons that I personally don't teach and believe the rapture, because it's not as it's been taught, because that, that particular view teaches, you know, people are going to be driving down the road, and their pilot's going to be in the front of the airplane, and he's a Christian, and, and all of a sudden, phew, the pilot's gone, and the airplane crashes, and everybody around the world's going, what happened to all those millions or billions of people? And uh, I don't believe the Scripture teaches that, because you can't see any clear evidence for a secret disappearance like that, that takes everybody by surprise, where people are like, where did my, where did my co-worker go? You, you just don't, you don't see that, okay? So... That just messed somebody else up right there. Uh, number five, Jesus will return. Number five, he will return and will not shock his followers. Now, this is really important. Will not shock his followers. Listen to the New Bible commentary. The thought of the day of the Lord is associated not only with judgment, but also with the dawning of light, which symbolizes divine revelation and righteousness. Believers are people who already live in the light, they are no longer in the darkness of sin and ignorance. Consequently, for them, the day of the Lord will not come like a searchlight which reveals the sins committed under cover of darkness and which makes unbelievers want to hide or run away. On the contrary, they will welcome the fuller light of that day and they will not be like people taken unawares because they will not be doing the kind of things that lead to judgment. Wow. Okay. Now, here's something I I think that's really, really important. I know Christians who are afraid of the coming of the Lord, and this is why. I want to tell you why. They're afraid of the coming of the Lord because they're like, what if at the moment Jesus comes back, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing? Some that where they were taught in the church they grew up with, in, you know, that if they were doing something bad at the moment of Christ's return, that that means at that moment they're going to be left behind. Oh, Pastor Rell asked me a question just to, just to mess with me in the fir- uh, before, we, before the first service began. Um, I want you to know, if you're a fan of the Left Behind series, um, that is the first view that I shared with, with you, and I don't believe the Left Behind series is accurate. I, think it's, I don't even think it's very good fiction, but, um, but it's not, it's, I don't believe it's accurate to the Scripture, okay? So I just wanted to say that right up front so you know where I'm coming from. It's not particularly well written, and it's um, bad theology. So I just want to say that so we're clear. You know, I just let you know where I'm coming from. Okay, so back to where I was now that I've really got some people mad. Um, When the Lord comes, it's not going to shock us. Listen, the Holy Spirit, I believe this fully based upon the text, the Holy Spirit will begin to get His followers ready for Jesus' return and will somehow have great expectation if we're alive when He returns. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to go sit on a mountaintop and wait 
It doesn't mean that when radio preachers or anybody else begins to tell you that they know the day and the hour, they figured it out with the Bible code. Can I just talk about that for a minute? Can I just tell you the most embarrassing thing that Christians seem to do over and over again and never seem to get over? And that is trying to date the coming of the Lord. It is so foolish and so silly, and every time it makes a mockery of us. Now, can, I, can I just challenge you, my, my brothers and sisters? I don't care how credible it sounds, how much revelation they have, or the secret code that they found in the Scripture. If somebody tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, just make a raspberry noise and walk away. <laughs> And then just walk away. Because they are wrong. They are wrong. They are wrong. They are wrong. And last point, they are wrong. They are absolutely wrong. They don't know. There isn't a secret code. There isn't a secret plan in there. There isn't some kind of, you know, mysterious... That's a form of Gnosticism. That you have to have secret knowledge to find out what's going on. So just don't buy into it. Don't listen to it. It's a lie, and it makes us look like fools. People are online posting, I read somewhere the end of the world is coming. Well, yeah. Hello? This thing ain't going to last forever. But it's not next week, it's not tomorrow, and it's not on October 20th or any other day. And let me tell you something. The Mayans don't know right? Nostradamus doesn't know. Come on. Stay with me here. Come on. All those weird programs on the History Channel are wrong. So just quit getting stressed about it. Now, this is what I do believe. I believe that globally, the true people of God will become aware and they'll be alert and alive. And when Christ comes, we won't be like, wow, that was a surprise. We'll all be like, yes, we were aware. But it won't be because some guy or some woman out there were like, I figured out the day and the time. Okay? So next time somebody comes up with a special code or they have a prophecy or whatever, and they tell you they know when Jesus is coming, just tell them, if you need to, just say, that's baloney. Don't use the other words, but you can, you know, okay, don't do it. See, the children of light will be full of light at His coming and will be filled with such wonder, awe, and excitement at His coming. And so we're to encourage each other with the talk of the coming of the Lord. It should truly be the great and terrible day of the Lord. Great for those who love Jesus. Maybe, maybe it is going to be terrible for those who've rejected It seems to indicate that something is pretty heavy duty, that God's going to come back and finally, Jesus is going to come back and finally deal with the evil on planet earth. And everyone who's been partaking of it, including religious people, are going to be judged, right? But I'm telling you, the children of God can be confident. That doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean if you're watching an R-rated movie at the theater when Jesus comes back, that you're going to go to hell or be left behind. Let's just make that clear. The blood of Jesus covers your sin, past, present, future. You're, you're, you're righteous in Jesus Christ, not righteous in your behavior and acts. Gosh, if I had to live every second of my life, like what if, you know, what if I, what if I turn around and I say something snippy to my wife, and then Jesus comes back, ah! right? 
That's the way people think. That's bad theology. All right, let me, let me move on here. Lee Eklov, in his sermon on heaven, shares this story. He said, Robbie Robbins was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraq war. After his 300th mission, he was surprised to be given permission to immediately pull his crew together and fly his plane home. Just immediately, you can go home. They flew across the ocean to Massachusetts and then had a long drive to western Pennsylvania. They drove all night. And when his buddies dropped him off at his driveway, just after the sun came up, there was a big banner across the garage. Welcome home, Dad. How did they know? No one had called And the crew themselves had not expected to leave so quickly. Robbins relates, When I walked into the house, the kids about half-dressed for school screamed, Daddy! Susan came running down the hall. She looked terrific, hair fixed, makeup on, and crisp yellow dress. This is his wife. How did you know? I asked. I didn't, she answered through tears of joy. Once we knew the war was over, we knew you'd be home one of these days. We knew you'd try to surprise us, so we were ready every day. Isn't that a great way to live? I don't mean with anxiety. I mean with expectation and joy. Rise in the morning. Man, what if the Lord came back today? Wow, Lord. Oh, So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be busy doing what He'd want me to do, right? And that takes me to my last point. I did not think I'd get through this. We're going to read a lot more Scripture. My last point is this. Jesus' return should cause us to live with focus. Now, here's what's interesting. Right after Paul lays out the coming of Jesus, he gives them instruction on how to live. And that's really important because here's here's what happens, and I've observed this over the years. People that really get caught up in end times teaching and they make that their focus and they're trying to figure out when he's coming and they're trying to link all the feasts with the coming of the Lord and they get really into you know, every jot and tittle of the book of Revelation and the third horn on the Antichrist and what, you know, what does this mean and are those, you know, are those bugs, are those helicopters, Apache helicopters, they get caught up in all that stuff. This is what I learned, I've seen over the years. I've seen that people that really get caught up in speculating about end time stu- stuff are kind of like people who get really caught up in conspiracy theories. And that is, there's no way to really know. It wastes lots of time. It's ultimately fruitless. It doesn't bring you any closer to Jesus. It definitely doesn't make you more effective at doing His work. Are you listening to me? Hear me, church. And it ultimately paralyzes you and keeps you from being effective for the kingdom of God. So I think it's a powerful principle that right after Paul teaches about the coming of the Lord, he immediately switches And he says, now live like this. And that tells us a lot. He was extremely practical, though he was talking about something that was wonderful and dynamic. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28, just going to read the scripture to you and take it in and listen to it. And this is his response now. This is where he picks up next verse. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Isn't this interesting? Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. To all people, to all people, 
to all people. Hey, Republican, that means Democrats. That means people in lifestyles you don't agree with. That means people on the streets that you don't like the way they look, smell, or act. That means people of another race or color or tribe that you can't relate to. Are you hearing me, church? Look at what he says. Be patient with everyone and always try to do good to each other and to all people. Gosh, if in the church all we did was be good to each other, that would be a revelation to the world. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for He who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. Let me stop there before somebody's like, well, we're not doing that. If you've ever been to a Latin country, you know that's how they greet one another. In the U.S., unless you have a real close relationship with people and there's trust, that's a cultural thing. That's a cultural thing they did at that time. So we do the holy handshake or the holy side hug, okay? Sometimes we do a little bit of this too. It'd be the same thing. What he's saying to each other is be warm with each other. Greet each other. Be kind. Show affection. That's what he's saying, okay? So don't get caught up on... Greet each other with a holy kiss. Oh man, we're not doing that. We're disobeying the Lord. All right, here we go. You still with me? All right, blah, 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 blah. Verse 27, I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I love how he ends. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen? Stand with me. Isn't it good to read the Bible? Yeah, good to talk about the coming of the Lord. How many of you, even today as you're reading the Scripture and, and we're talking about this, how many of you find yourself thinking about it in a fresh way like, wow, the Lord's going to return. He's going to make everything right. And there's a, even an expectation and excitement about it. If you've ever suffered, if you've ever gone through a long, drawn-out illness, if you've ever watched people that you really love die and die horrible ways and if you've ever turned on the TV and you see the story of an amber alert and a child that's been abducted and you see stories of murders and death and war and pain and sorrow when you look at our world and you realize how screwed up it is and that people who don't believe don't have any hope right and we've already seen what happens when human beings try over and over again to create utopian societies. Every time we try to create our own utopia that doesn't have God involved in it, we just mess it up bad. We usually end up killing a lot of people, messing a lot of people up, messing up the earth, poisoning it, poisoning lives. We just do it wrong every time. 
But here's the beauty and here's the hope. Jesus is going to return. And when he does, he's going to fix what's broken. He's going to make what's wrong right. And he's going to make it all holy and beautiful and pure again. Isn't that good? Amen. Why don't you close your eyes and pray with me? Father, we commit this time to you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to just take these next few moments and take the word and and put it in our hearts and fill us with your thoughts. Fill us with great hope. Lord, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you. I pray that this would be a day when they would determine, I want to follow Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. You know, as we continue to pray, I just want to say something to you. You know, Paul ends this letter with a lot of instructions and a lot of challenges to the church. His instructions capture perfectly the idea that the second coming should motivate us to live differently. And I want to ask you, are you following these instructions? Are you living this way? Are you even a believer and a follower of Jesus? Are you excited and yearning for His second coming or are you afraid of it? Fear is an indication of either ignorance or a lack of assurance that you're a child of God. Maybe today's the day that you end that lack of assurance and you put trust in Jesus Christ and what He did for you. I want to encourage you to believe in Him today. Be reconciled to Him today. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He's going to come again to raise everyone and judge what's evil. I want to encourage you to turn to Him today. Let Him save you. Let Him rescue you from the power of sin and death. So as we just continue to pray, I want to ask, is there anyone here you'd say, today, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to follow Him. Maybe for the first time in your life, I want to begin to follow Him. I want to become a believer. I want to put my trust in Jesus. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He rose from the dead. And now I want to become a Christian and follow Him. And if you're here and you say, I want to do that, and it's your first time in your life you've ever done that, you want to follow Him starting today, begin a journey, would you just be willing to put your hand up and let me see it? And we want to pray for you. You'd say, this is the day I want to follow Christ. I want to become a believer. I want to trust in Him. I want to know what it is to be forgiven. I want to know what it is to be cleansed. Is there anyone here? You'd say, that's me. That's me. I want to follow Christ. That's me. Okay? Anyone at all? Maybe you're here and you'd say, you know, I followed him in the past and I've fallen away. I've gone the wrong direction. I've fallen back into some bad habits, but I want to return today. I want to recommit my life today. I want to get back up. I've fallen and I want to get back up and serve him. If that's you, would you be willing to show me your hand? Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? You're here and you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ and begin to follow him. Anyone else? You're here and you you say, I want to serve him starting today. I want to walk with him starting today. Okay, so if you raised your hand, and even if you didn't, we have a cross in our back corner, my left, your right, and there's going to be somebody back there waiting to pray with you and talk with you. Can I encourage you to go back there and meet with them, and they can lead you into reconciling with your Father and your God. Father, thank you for your people. We pray that you would help us to live with great expectation. And that you would use, Lord, this, even this message to adjust our life, to quicken us to live with expectation, to be ready, and to live holy and righteous before you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Go with God. He goes with you.